Welcome to episode three of the Various and Sundry podcast. I am your host, Matt Harmon, joined in studio, as always, by my co-host, my teammate, my longtime friend, <laughs> and my colleague here at Grace College and Theological Seminary, the one, the only, John Sloat. Matt, how are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. We are entering... This is, uh, what, week three of the uh, academic semester or the session here the at session Grace? The session at Grace, yeah. Okay. Yeah, week three. So, and you're not teaching anything this sem- this session? Currently. Nope. Mostly on the road, back half of weeks in Florida in February, Asia and the end of February. So. And you just got back last week from... I was in Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh. Yeah. yeah, I was in okay. Pittsburgh for three days. Yeah. The... Uh, the, the Tampa of the South? The Tampa of the Midwest, <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> Maybe without the beach or you know ocean, but right, yeah, 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 the Tampa, yeah, Tampa yeah. Bay. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Kind of returning to part of your roots. You have varied roots. Yeah, yeah. I went to I went to high school in Pittsburgh, so that was it was good to go back there. It was good to visit my alma mater, do some recruitment, uh, visit a few other Christian schools. Uh, I got to speak at one uh, in in Don- Donegal, uh, Pennsylvania, uh, which okay. which was nowhere. Um, uh, and then, uh, and then uh, drove back here to Indiana and I, I got a chance to speak at a youth retreat this weekend. And that was, that was a wonderful experience. It, it was, it was awesome. Excellent. Excellent. Well, we uh, want to remind our listeners that if you want to get in touch with us, you can connect with us on Twitter. We are at V and S pod. And we also have an email address that you can reach out and get in touch with us. That is variousandsundrypodcast at gmail.com. Yeah. And uh, this week, uh, well, I guess I guess based on our episode from last week, uh, one listener, we'll call him Dave in Oregon. Dave in Oregon, yes. Um, who we both know and love. <laughs> yes. Uh, 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 had some thoughts on our, on our episode and our conversation about evangelicals leaving, uh, uh, millennials leaving traditional evangelical churches and going to more liturgical churches. Yes. And we mentioned it briefly. We talked about um, how we fear liturgical churches can be uh, a bit uh, ritualistic and fall into monotony and those sorts of things. Yes. And uh, I think Dave gave gave us some some, uh, helpful pushback. And so uh, I'll read uh, a brief part uh, of what he said. First of all, he he had great greetings for us and and loved the podcast and listens to it while he makes bread in the morning. Yeah. Uh, If if we move towards the sponsorship end of things, we might need to uh, have a conversation with Dave in Oregon. Dave in Oregon about... Yeah, we'd love some. We'd love some free bread swag, and uh, it's probably hard to get that here in a timely yeah. fashion, though. Well, we're we're big in we're big in Oregon. That's right. Um, well, anyway, uh, he said he said this. Uh, you raised one point several times, and I'd like to offer a little pushback. Uh, multiple times throughout the episode, you mentioned that liturgical worship runs the risk of becoming a sort of empty ripu- ritualism. Uh, I don't uh, have any argument there. It clearly can, uh, but I would like to say that low church. Uh, styles of worship are equally susceptible to this danger. They too have routines, forms, and turns of phrases that can become empty words and motions. Evangelicalism has its rituals too, uh, but without the benefit of cool robes. Uh, <laughs> yes, which was very uh, Dave from Oregon. Very so, Dave. Yes, uh, I appreciated that pushback, and I think I think he's right. I, 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 think, I think that's think, fair. I think evangelicals uh, in low church settings. Uh, do have um, do have 
a liturgy of sorts. Uh, mm-hmm. It's just far more casual. Yes. And uh, but but I think it can become ritualism as well. Sure. And I think that uh, especially when you understand sort of uh, liturgy in one sense broadly understood as any consistent pattern you're using on a regular basis in your worship context, then uh, almost every sort of worship setting uh, that has a consistent time of meeting has a liturgy in that sense. Sure. Now, that term tends to be used more specifically of higher church forms of worship where it's um, you know, much more, we have a very regulated um, we have this reading, and then there's this kind of prayer, and then we uh, sing a song, and then there's this kind of scripture reading from this part of the Bible, and like so, that that sure. tends to be how. But completely agree with Dave, and so appreciate the yeah. the 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 warm and friendly pushback on that. Yeah, and if you would like to have an email read on the air, we don't guarantee that. <laughs> That's true. But uh, if you write as good of an email as Dave in Oregon. We would we would welcome uh, any pushback or comments or thoughts, and you might even get read on air. So that's, that's a possibility. Uh, yeah, that's so exciting. Go ahead and reach out to us, and uh, we uh, are just coming off a weekend where the AFC and NFC uh, conference championship games were played, and so now we have our Super Bowl set. We've got the Chiefs from the AFC and the um, 49ers from the NFC. Any quick thoughts on the? Uh, conference championship games, because I figure next episode we'll probably we'll do a Super do a Bowl, Super Bowl yeah. mini preview or something like that. Um, no, not really. They, they weren't particularly exciting games. I mean, the best part was Tennessee was up 17-7, to 7, I think, at mm-hmm. one point yeah. over the Chiefs. Uh, but other than that, the Chiefs rolled and uh, the 49ers rolled, and it was um, not, not the most exciting games I've seen. Yeah, absolutely. Not, not the most compelling television, to be sure. Yeah. So, well, as we... Uh, as we move into one of our, our, our primary topics today, uh, it is sports-related, but uh, for, for our listeners who are not necessarily big-time sports fans— Stick with us. Stick with us, because we have another—we uh, are going to talk not just about the sports angle of this, but uh, we also have another, uh, rel- in one sense, a broadly-related ministry topic that will tie into this, but— and, and the sports topic is getting play nationally, like Correct. like on, like on on news uh, regular news outlets, not not just sports news outlets, right? Not just ESPN or FS1 or. Something. And so I think even if you're not a sports fan, you can appreciate uh, what's going on or uh, think about it more deeply. Sure, sure. And so that topic is the massive uh, cheating scandal in the world of Major League Baseball. Yeah, yeah. So to, to recap so, sort of what, what's happened uh, in, I believe, the 2017 season. I think that's right, yep. Uh, the Houston Astros, uh, halfway through the season, and the Houston Astros were known to be a very good team, Yeah, uh, came to the decision that they could do a better job of stealing signs. Right. And maybe we should just clarify what that means and yeah. how that fits into the larger context of baseball. So... Uh, uh, every pitch that's thrown from the pitcher, he'll throw different kinds of pitches, whether whether it's a slow pitch, whether it's a fast pitch, whether it has a curve to it or not, uh, so the catcher knows where to catch it. So uh, the catcher will throw down a sign underneath him, usually indicated by a certain number of fingers or sequenced right. uh, fingers. Uh, the pitcher will then receive, accept the sign, and throw the pitch. Um, the batter usually has no idea what's coming. Right. Unless, um, if, if there's a man on, let's say, second base. Right. 
uh, and he's able to figure out what the signs are, relay it to the batter somehow, what pitch is coming. Uh, that's called sign stealing and is an accepted part of baseball. At some level, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and just to, just to clarify, if you're not a baseball fan, um, the difference in being able to know what's coming is that, is that you have to make a decision within less than a second of yeah. whether you're going to swing at a pitch when it's coming from the pitcher. So if you know whether it's going to be a fastball or a slower pitch like a changeup or a curveball or something, that's a huge strategic advantage in at least having a sense of what's coming. And what the Astros did in 2017 mm-hmm. was uh, a bench co- uh, somebody on the coaching staff uh, named Alex Cora uh, put a camera in center field that was focused on the catcher giving signs. Right. Once that sign was accepted, somebody in the clubhouse would he- would see that camera and see that sign on a monitor in the hallway just outside the dugout. And had a trash can and a baseball bat, and would, which I think, I think is hysterical. Yeah, uh, would bang on the trash can to indicate what kind of pitch was coming. Right, and the batter could hear the trash can. Now, Twitter was used to uncover this, so yeah. so people on Twitter have gone back and watched clips of these games and can hear the banging of the trash can. Right, um, and this differs from somebody on second stealing signs because of. Uh, uh, because of uh, the use of technology, right. uh, the distinct advantage it gives them. Um, so uh, MLB, uh, I think, famously was asked about it. I, I believe A.J. Hinch, the manager, was asked about it right after the World Series. Back in 2017. Back in 2017, and which is the same as 2017. And, uh, <laughs> and said... And somebody asked me, he goes, well, that's ridiculous. You know, you know these guys are in there working hard every day. MLB did an investigation, suspended him and his boss, uh, the GM, for one year from baseball, and the Astros' owner turned around and fired both of them. Correct. Uh, Now, the Red Sox also, if you can't tell, I'm passionate about this topic. I love it. (laughs) The Red Sox were also caught in a cheating scandal in the middle, I believe, of the 2018 season. Yeah, that's right. um, Using an Apple Watch. Uh, as part of their cheating somehow. I don't fully understand. That's still under investigation. But the Red Sox have parted ways with Alex Cora, who got hired based on the World Series win from the Houston Astros right. in 2017. Yeah. And the Mets manager was also fired, mutually parted. Mutually agreed to part yeah. ways, yes. Uh, after a large donation was made to his charity. Um <laughs> Um, and he he was a player on that 2017 Astros team, right? That's now, that's the basic lay of the land, correct? And so, um, yeah, there's a lot of, of of interesting pieces here. And one thing I'll just add is that uh, they're still in they're still looking into, or at least there's uh, I don't know if MLB is technically looking into this, but there are still accusations that the Astros had technology, not just the cameras, but had wearable technology of some yes. kind that would maybe buzz or give an alert while the batter was at the plate to let him know, here's a fastball, here's a curveball. Yeah. I, I but that, that has not been definitively uh, established, though there's lots of accusations. And and in the investigation, they looked into wearables, um, and I believe MLB came back and said, Major League Baseball came back and said, 
we see no evidence of wearables. Right. But there is some like awkward behavior um, yeah. that happens. So Suspicious. Yeah. Jose Altuve, who is um, a lot of fun to watch. I mean, he's, he's one of the smallest baseball players in the league. Yeah. Uh, hits a home game-winning home run. He's coming home and he's saying, don't rip off my shirt, don't rip off my shirt, which right. is kind of a tradition of baseball where you hit a walk-off home run, they, they um, rip off your shirt. Yeah. And people were saying that they didn't want him to do that. He didn't want his shirt ripped off because he had, it would show a buzzer right. underneath. Right. Um, he claims that his wife didn't like it when his shirt got ripped off. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Which, yeah, that, that's a little hard to believe. So, uh, and just so just to clarify, the the penalties from Major League Baseball, uh, one year suspension for the Astros manager AJ Hinch, who was then subsequently fired. Yes. The GM was also suspended for one year and fired. So even if another team wanted to hire them, they couldn't hire them for a year. And then. Um, there's an assistant general manager who was suspended for a year as well. The Astros lost a first and second round draft their first and second round draft picks for the next two years, and the team was fined five million dollars, which is the maximum under Major League Baseball's constitution. Yeah. Do you think that was enough? No, I th- I, I think the World Series needs to be vacated. If they use this for the entirety of the 2017 season or a good portion of it, certainly through the playoffs, we have audio that proves it. Major League Baseball has agreed. I think I think the World Series needs to be vacated. Which is interesting in, in because that, that just doesn't happen in professional sports. That, that That's no. just unprecedented. Now, that's different in college sports. It happens in college sports, yeah. It happens not regularly, but, I mean, uh, was it, I think it was Louisville. Lu- sorry, Louisville. Thank you, yeah. Yeah, sorry. Got ahead of myself there. Uh, Louisville uh, had their national championship vacated from 2013 or whenever it was uh, because of the scandal surrounding their program. And, um, you know, you can argue whether that does anything um, because it doesn't automatically then grant the national championship to the runner-up that year, which was actually uh, that team up north. Right. But um, but that's not to say that it's a meaningless penalty, but it's not like – I forget who the Astros beat that year. Do you remember who the Astros beat in 2017? Uh, Dodgers. Okay. So that doesn't mean that the Dodgers suddenly become the 2017 World Series champs. It just – no one won it that year, basically. Right. That's how that works, essentially. And I saw – because the Astros beat the Yankees to get there and some Yankee fans – because yeah. Yankee fans are Yankee fans (laughs) – started going like, well, we should get it. You know, we should. Yeah. No, that's stupid. You no. vacate it, nobody gets it. Right. You know. Okay, so part of my question is, and we we texted about this a little bit. We did bit. text. And um, we, where does this fit in the sort of uh, history of scandal in baseball? Because baseball has a long history to begin with, yeah. and a lot of scandals of yeah. varying levels of se- severity and such. And so, I'll, I'll let you make your case. Yeah. Where does it fit? Yeah, I mean, I you know, but I think this is the biggest scandal in baseball history. Okay, and explain to me why you think that is. So um, the major scandals that 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 um, that I'll talk about the the Black Sox, I believe, of nineteen nineteen. Mm-hmm. Yep. Who threw the World Series? Correct. Uh, they uh, threw a World Series, uh, and several of the players that threw the World Series played amazing. Um, and so they're cheating and scandal caused them to lose the World Series, not to win. That's why I think the Astros, this is a bigger scandal. Mm-hmm. 
Um, second, uh, the second one that I think of uh, is steroids. Um, and I've seen a number of pitch- pitchers come out and say, I would rather face uh, somebody that's juiced rather than somebody who right. knows what pitch is coming. Yeah. Um, so I think it's bigger uh, than that. Um, and then I also think it's bigger than Pete Rose uh, because I think uh, uh, Pete Rose was sort of doing things on his own. This was an organizational cheating that was happening. Right. So I think uh, that's my two cents. Mm-hmm. This is an organizational cheating uh, that was taking place in the game of baseball. Uh, I think the World Series should be vacated to uh, to show the severity. Right. And I think we could – I'm not sure what I think about vacating the World Series. Uh, I, I'd be fine with that. I think I could go either way. Um, but uh, I, I would disagree that this is bigger than the Black Sox scandal of 1919. And uh, the, some of the primary reasons that I don't think it's bigger than that, which I'll mention, by the way, there is a great uh, podcast – uh, series on the 1919 Black Sox, They're the Chicago White Sox, because of sure. their scandal, they've been labeled the Black Sox, by a podcast called Infamous America, which has a whole season on the 1919 Yeah, I've Black listened Sox to it. It's, it's quite good. It's, it's good, yeah. yeah. Here's why I don't think it's bigger than that, though it's not far off. So I'll give you that. It's not like it's—I'm uh, not saying it's, it's ridiculous to say it's as big or bigger. My point is that that scandal resulted in profound and major changes to the game that lasted for the rest of this for since then. In other words, mm-hmm. the office of the commissioner came into being because of that particular scandal, and the fact that you had. Federal grand juries involved, sure. to me, takes it to a whole new level of this is not just about baseball. This is about uh, something that gets into the federal courts when it comes to uh, gambling and, and, and that sort of thing. So well, That happened with steroids as well. Um, there was testimony before Congress, but that's not federal grand juries. Those are pretty different. You can be, I mean, oh, that's true. Our, our own president has been called in to testify before a House subcommittee about things he's doing, not in a good way, in a very yeah. good way, like, sure. hey, you're being innovative. We want to hear from you. So the Congress can call anybody in there to talk about something. Our president of the college, all of a sudden, I was thinking you were talking about uh, the president of the United States. I was like, really? Really? No, 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 and that was that was news to me. I thought we, I thought we needed <laughs> no. to play a breaking news number no, no, no. real quick. Ba, ba, okay. Ba, ba, ba. Um, so anyway, I I think that that Black Sox scandal is still bigger because of that. But in any case, um, I I think it remains to be seen what comes of this that's and, and, true. and what change. Like like this is still a developing story. It is developing. That's fair. Um, but here's the question: Why? Why the cheating? Um, and this is this is where we're trying to to pull back our folks who are like, I'm not a big sports fan. Help me out here, Doc. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, like, I, I mean, my my simple answer is ego. Okay. Like, 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 I want to be a winner. I want to be the best. I want to be. I want to have the championship, even though I know that I didn't necessarily mm-hmm. earn it. And I would add. There's huge amounts of money at stake. There is a ton of money, yes. And yes. Um, that's even been mentioned by some of the players who are outraged by this of saying, look, that, that costs people bonuses and incentives and stuff and such like that. That can affect people's contracts or whether they're brought back or not when they lose those kind of 
uh, big games like that, or they, you know, a pitcher who gets lit up by one of these players who knows what pitch is coming, that could could and maybe did. I don't know. You'd have to maybe demonstrate that to me, but could affect their contract status or, you know, that kind of stuff. So, yeah, yeah, and uh, I've seen pitchers come out and say like. Uh, and I think it's important. It's important to remember also that the players of uh, the Astros, in, and I didn't know this until I read an article this week, uh, said uh, MLB went to them and said, "We will give you full immunity if you give us if you tell us everything." Um, and so that that's the only reason MLB got anywhere in this investigation. And so the players aren't being punished at all. Right, and that's that's caused a good bit of outrage that you've got. These yeah. former, some current and then former Astros players who will not get punished at all because of that move. And, you know, again, that's the, that's the classic debate, uh, dilemma that, you know, investigators often face in any context, right? You may not get information, so you offer immunity to someone to get more information, but then everyone's outraged because a key player does not get punished mm-hmm. at all. Yes. So, yeah. um, but as we thought about this particular issue of cheating in baseball, uh, it, it, it led me to think, what, what is an area where uh, there's a sort of a parallel in, um, when it comes to ministry? And what came to my mind and what we'll spend some time talking about now is um, pastors or preachers who plagiarize sermons. Yeah, yeah. That they are, in essence, uh, at some level, cheating. They're 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 not uh, perhaps following through on uh, what their responsibilities are when it comes to the um, the calling of their of their ministry. Now, when we say plagiarizing a sermon, what are we talking about? What do, what do we mean by uh, by that? Like, what, could, would you mind defining that for me, just just real quick? Yeah, I think that. Um, Taking and and we'll talk about degrees about this as we move in in through this topic. But I will we'll start with the a pastor takes a sermon that was preached by someone else. Sure, whether they listen to it online or whether they get the manuscript somehow, or maybe it's a book chapter or something, and then they go into the pulpit and preach that sermon with those exact words or basically those exact words and do not in any way acknowledge that they are using the words of somebody else. Yeah. So someone likes a Rick Warren ser- sermon and they go and take it and then they, you know, say, well, maybe they change a few words here and there, but basically they go into the pulpit and they and that's not a knock on Rick Warren, I'm just picking a popular pastor. So I'm not saying that he, you know, encourages the practice. You know, it could be John or, Piper, or, it could be Matt Chandler, it could be anybody. Yeah, <laughs> everybody in this in this age of internet and being able to search through things is right. easily plagiarized. Yeah, and so um, I think that that that's in one sense a pretty easy uh, and clear example. Though there are still plenty of pastors, um, and I know of one in particular, who, when confronted about this particular practice, someone went to him and said, um, "I was listening to your sermon." I had read a book by another by an author, and it was basically word for word. And you never said anything about, yeah. you know, using this, but it was like word for word for long stretches. And um, when confronted, the pastor said, "Well, I just think it's really good and helpful, and so I don't see any problem with it." 
Yeah, there's sort of this feeling uh, that pastors and ministers have a different set of rules um, when it comes to plagiarism. Yeah. Where, as a, a, your Philippians commentary, for instance, um, if large pieces of that were seen to be, oh, taken from so-and-so, uh, you, it'd be pulled off shelves, mm-hmm. you would be discredited, yeah. you would... Um, I, don't, I don't even know what else would happen to you. Uh, you, you would lose, lose credibility in, in the academy right. in a lot of ways. It, it'd be a huge problem. Yeah, it would. It would. And um, so, so in one sense, I think that's, that's an obvious example. And uh, as you know, we did some as we did some show prep. Uh, I think it was helpfully sort of broken down uh, in at least uh, a couple of the articles. One by and we'll we'll post links to this. There's a Gospel Coalition uh, article that then has like five uh, sublinks to what does Don Carson think, what does Tim Keller think, what do others think on this, mm-hmm. and they basically a lot of these articles boiled it down to. Uh, there's two primary issues on that. They're stealing. You're taking what someone else has produced, yeah, and uh, and you're presenting it as yours. You're taking yeah. something that doesn't belong to you, and presenting it as yours. And then there's cheating that you're essentially um, claiming credit for something that you didn't create. Yeah. And I think those are helpful categories to put it in in terms of, but uh, it was quite striking as you read through their responses, the variation of their intensity <laughs> when yes. it comes to condemning the practice. Yes, and I think some of that is just personality-driven. Some of yeah. it is, yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, Don Carson basically starts his off with, um, if you're doing this, you're disqualified. You should be. You should either resign or be fired immediately. Yeah. That's kind of like the lead line in there. Yeah. And then, of course— <laughs> Uh, you, you, your 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 good friend Tim Keller. Yeah, good friend. Yeah, <laughs> it's like well, it's more complicated than that, and not not that he disagrees with Don, but he he deals, I think, with more shades of gray in his um, yeah. response. Which so let let's talk about some of those shades of gray. Yeah, let's um, do that. Um, so I'll I'll throw out. Uh, how about this? How about I throw out uh, something that a that a preacher might do. Mm-hmm. And you let me know your thoughts and feelings on it in, okay. in the world of preachers. Yeah. Okay. Let's let's toss you a softball. Okay. Uh, preacher uh, copies and pastes a Charles Spurgeon sermon and reads it word for word on Sunday morning. And does not in any way indicate. Does that, not indicate that it's okay. him. Yeah. Clearly wrong. And um, I think a an, an egregious breach of his pastoral duties. Uh, though, quite frankly, if he's taking Charles Spurgeon word for word, that should be pretty evident pretty quick with some of the 19th century <laughs> English. That's that's, gonna that's be fair. That's fair. So maybe like a John Piper or a Tim Keller sure. would be a more contemporary example where it's not as easy to maybe discern that from the language. Okay. So there's that. What if uh, a pastor is uh, goes out, listens to a, a famous preacher, whoever it may be, mm-hmm. uh, this famous preacher tells a story— uh, this preacher goes, I like that story, tells it as their own story. So let me just clarify, because I think the the the, the clarification matters. Does the preacher tell the—is it a first-person story? It's Meaning a, that, mm-hmm. you know, a famous preacher says, I was in, you know, the coffee shop, and then I had this conversation with so-and-so, and, the, and then a non-famous preacher— Lifts it and presents it as their own story. Yes, that one. That is not right. That okay. is that is dishonest. Yeah, and um, is 
it is uh, a breach of, I think, faithful preaching. Yeah, and, and I think we're on the same page on that. Yeah. Now, I think we're going to get into a little bit more gray. Okay. Um, uh, let's say uh, somebody goes out, uh, here's, a, here's a, a sermon by John Piper goes, I like the structure of that sermon, mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm preaching a similar passage coming up. Uh, can he use the same point headings? So the same main points, same the, structure. The, so the, like same, the same outline. Let's say it's— Point one, God loves you. Point two, you should love God. Point three— um, Let's do it all together. Right. <laughs> it's a terrible outline, but— Yes. <laughs> um, if the preacher is going to do that, I'm okay with that, mm-hmm. but I think he should acknowledge that he has borrowed the outline. Now, and, and this, and this is uh, this might hit a little closer home, closer to home for me because in my Philippians commentary, I give a I give suggested preaching. Oh, interesting! Outlines, yes, <laughs> or at least main points. Yes, so you're almost giving people. You're almost like saying use this in a lot of ways in your comment. Is, is that is that a fair assessment of why it's in I'm there? I'm saying use this. I I, I try to clarify that um, it's only suggested and only to give ideas. It's, you know, I'm not saying, and I make it clear, like, this is not the only faithful way to preach this passage. It may not, it's probably not even the best way to preach it. It's the, if I were going to preach it, or if I have preached it, this is what I did. And I got some pushback from one particular friend about including those. Really? Over over his concern about About this this issue. this kind of thing, that you're doing too much work for the pastor. And uh, I took that into consideration, but ultimately decided that um, I don't think that's the case. Now, so again, I, I think that if you acknowledge that um, you're borrowing the outline, I think it's fine. And I think part of part of what can fix a lot of this is doing your own work on the front end before you go to those resources. Yeah, yeah. That doing your own work and getting your own idea of how you think the passage hangs together, how you want to preach it— and getting that in place, at least at a sort of um, rough sort of framework structural level, and then going to commentaries or listening to other pastors who preach the passage, going, oh, that's really good. I could really use that. Or mm-hmm. I think I could still go with mine, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I think uh, I think that I got into a practice where I, I think lots of seminary students go through. When I was going through seminary, I would listen regularly to a lot of preaching. Um, and, and, and loved it. And I found that when I was listening to this preaching, it became like I, w- I would take on attributes yeah. of, of some of these preachers. And, and I actually had to stop listening to sermons of passages I was getting ready to teach on or preach because I was so influenced by some of these sermons. And that's fair. Though at the same time, uh, I believe it's um, this, this point is made in both the uh, in the Nine Marks mm-hmm. article or answer that I read about this, as well as the uh, even um, Don Carson's response. Way to cite your source, by the way. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm trying, yeah, I'm trying yeah. really hard not to Boy, violate. That'd, what that'd be embarrassing. Yeah, <laughs> is that there? There is a sense in which the influence of someone can be so pervasive, or even just so um, that when you read a lot, or when you're exposed to a lot, you can legitimately not remember where that mm. that expression or that phraseology or even those ideas came to you from. And that, that, that makes it challenging 
even if you want to, to acknowledge that uh, you probably got those ideas from that person. So uh, I think on the preaching end, there is a practical nature to this that that we we're we're not saying. I think we can speak. I think I can speak for you on this. Go ahead. What we're not saying is that every other uh, paragraph, every other sentence, you got to be like, "Well, I first learned about God's glory from you know yeah. Jonathan Edwards yeah. or John Piper, whoever it might be." We're, we're not saying that because that makes for a clunky, sure, but uh, experience. I think you can go. My goodness, I, I've I used to think one way about this topic, and and then I began to work through this guy's work, and I, I feel greatly influenced by that, and I, yeah. I, I have a great deal of of uh, of uh, credit to give to them based on my thinking here. So lots of what you hear, Absolutely. you know, you could say that, and it, it, you come off as as uh, humble, you come off as giving credit, right. uh, and you come off as as well read, which I I, th- I think is an important part as well. Right, and I think that um, it, there there are just a, a number of easy ways that you can simply do this, even in a spoken form of communication, even if it's on an outline. To say, um, as I was preparing, I came across this this sermon by um, Tim Keller, and he organized the passage around these three points, and I thought that was really helpful, and so I've borrowed his outline. Mm-hmm. Then you're off. You know that that didn't that wasn't um, that wasn't difficult, and. One little sort of best practices that I encourage our students here to work on, even in their coursework and uh, the uh, even in their preaching, is even if it's not a formal citation, if you're making if in your sermon notes, if you're borrowing from someone, just make note of it. Whether it's in a footnote at the bottom of your notes, or whether it's in parentheses like uh, Moo Romans three twenty two. Okay, so yeah. that. Down the road, when if, if you decide to use this in some other written context where the expectations are much more stringent on acknowledging sources and that sort of stuff, that, you, uh, that you're okay, that you're not violating those kinds of things. Yeah. Um, where, when, it, when is it appropriate to uh, borrow an illustration? You know, so, so um, you know, and uh, this has happened to me before where I'm, I'm reading— uh, probably Tim Keller, and come across a <laughs> C.S. Lewis uh, illustration from right. the Chronicles of Narnia, or a, or a Tolkien story, or mm-hmm. you know something like that. Where where is it okay to say like, oh, he used that? I could go out and read you know Lord of the Rings or or um, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe and find mm-hmm. that illustration myself. Is is that an appropriate thing? Do we need to give credit? What? I don't think, generally speaking, I don't think you would necessarily need to do that. Hmm. Um, now, there can be a—I think there are ways that uh, you can you can at least acknowledge that maybe you didn't come up with it without having to say, like, I got this from Tim Keller and sure. his message this. You know, you can say something like, uh, I came across this illustration I thought was helpful. Like, you don't have to, to give author, title, page number— in the context of a make sermon. sure everything's italicized correctly, get right. the commas yeah, in the right spot. You don't yeah. have to do that. That's not that's not necessary in a preaching context. Um, and I, I think, and maybe we can we can uh, begin to move on a little bit. But I, I do think uh, Karen Swallow Pryor had a good uh, tweet about this, and she was talking about plagiarism of her students. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm going to butcher it, but it's out there. Right. Uh, where she said something to the effect of, our culture is really in love with being original and not well-read. Right. 
Correct. And I think that in addition to those, you've got the same sort of motivations, right? You've got pride. Sure. I want people to think I came up with this really clever or impressive or deep thought or this structure, that sort of thing. So there's a pride issue that sure. absolutely is going on there. And even if someone might say, well, I'm so busy, I don't have time to do my own sort of like deep dive into the text. To me, the response is, then you need to have a conversation with your elders or with somebody so that you can get some things off of your plate because – at the center of a continuous preaching ministry should be that should be reflected in your uh, in your time during the week that 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 is recognized as this is a primary focus of your ministry and if you're too busy doing all these other good things then we need to get some other people doing some of those things to to free you up to do that which the articles that we will that we will link and we will cite um, <laughs> that uh, that do defend preachers who do this oftentimes go to they're super busy. Right. The, this is the only profession that you speak weekly. They forgot about us, you know. Um, <laughs> right. They forgot about the college professor, there you know. You um, but uh, but but yes, th- that seemed to be the pushback. And I think that one really helpful thing to keep in mind is is that good preaching is really ultimately God's word mediated through the person the person that is doing the communicating for a particular context. Mm-hmm. So just taking a message that. Uh, your favorite pastor preaches to a different context, not only are you shortchanging uh, yourself, you are also not serving well the specific people that God has called you to preach to because you know them and that famous pastor doesn't. And so uh, you're not feeding them uh, in the way that you should feed them. Yeah, I I, uh, I think it was Lig Duncan who said it at a panel discussion I was at, there's there's no replacement for a pastor who has bled with his people. Yeah, and you, I think most people can tell over time of like, you, you just not, you haven't, you yourself have not deeply engaged the text. Sure. You, you know, it, it just feels different. So in any case, um, we need to uh, move on to our athlete who wore number three. Yes. Um, and we we sort of have one picked out. Yeah. Uh, but some of our candidates that we've talked about, uh, Babe Ruth, uh, the Bambino, yeah. I believe was his nickname. Uh, for the, the Sultan New- of Swat as well. The, the Sultan of Swat. I did not know that one. <laughs> yeah. uh, Ken Griffey Jr., uh, who was huge when I was growing up. Yeah, great player. Uh, uh, Dwayne Wade, a little bit more recent. Yeah, for the Miami Heat, um, won several championships, was part of one of the original sort of— uh, not dream teams, but like uh, super teams. Super teams yeah. where you've got you know two or three him and Chris Bosh and LeBron in Miami. Uh, Allen Iverson was it, was another one. Uh, Arguably the greatest basketball player six feet and under. Yeah, that's such a such a specific category. Um, <laughs> he was small but dynamic. And then you have one that you want to you want to throw out. Well, here. yeah. So we got some pushback from Nate in Ohio about yeah. oh my um, goodness. the uh, the fact that. There were no Buckeyes mentioned in the previous discussion of wearing number two or any, you know, Mets mentioned for uh, for Sloat here. And so uh, when it comes to wearing number three, uh, at least worth mentioning here, not in the same category as these others, but uh, Michael Thomas, the Saints receiver, arguably the best receiver in the NFL right now. One of the best, right? One of the two. I mean, has the catch record. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, He wore number three at Ohio State, so honorable mention to Does not wear it at New Saints, though. He would not really be allowed to. 
Yeah, I, I think we got to go with Babe Ruth. I, I really don't think we have much of an option. Yeah, though I, it, it pains you as a Mets it, it, fan it to hurts, go two straight me. weeks with a, with a yes, Yankee. Yes, and we were talking about this off this off pod, and uh, the Yankees have a tradition of putting their greatest players or who they think will be their greatest players in those one to nine uh, numbers in the top ten. And so I think we'll we'll probably have more Yankees going forward. So we need to be intentional not to just pick Yankees, but I think we'll see. Uh, we'll see more Yankees, yeah, I, at least I in conversation. I haven't done the, the work for number four yet, but yeah, I think we, we probably need to make an intentional effort. Not to, to not have to a Yankee. I mean, yeah. Babe Ruth was— It's hard to beat Babe Ruth, <laughs> I mean, you know? Yeah, I, I don't know how you— can argue with him again if we're thinking about historically great Mm -hmm. um, all these other players are certainly worthy of mention and discussion and there's probably more that we'll get some feedback from uh others who feel slighted on that but um what's one thing you like this week john so uh i got something a little bit different uh a few months ago i came across uh, an old book called on liberty uh, by john Mm -hmm. stuart mill uh, and he has, and I would recommend just the second chapter uh, of what he's written. It's called, it's uh, on free speech, I believe, but it's the second chapter. It's 7,000 words. It does not take a long time to read. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he advocates for free speech being a cornerstone of education, society, uh, all these things, uh, and presents very logical arguments that, that I really really enjoy and, and would love to see our society really, really hold on to uh, again. And I imagine that given the uh, the age of that, that was written centuries ago. Right? Uh, yes, yes. That um, you can probably find it online. Yeah, like, I— A version I, online. I'll, I'll post a link. There's okay. a—somebody's uh, there's there's a uh, somebody's updated it, and just the second chapter has been published. Gotcha. So I'll, I'll post a link. Okay. And for me, uh, I'm going to mention a new podcast that uh, I've, I've come across that uh, I've enjoyed, uh, at least the initial episode. It's a podcast called Food Trucks in Babylon, which is a fantastic— That's a great title, uh, yeah. Uh, it's done by Patrick Schreiner, and uh, there's another faculty, or at least staff member out there at Western Seminary in— uh, in, in Oregon. In Oregon, so— yeah. Apparently, we're competing for listeners out there, yeah. perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> of the bread-making community. <laughs> That's right. So, um, but their first uh, episode was on uh, Christians and marijuana, mm-hmm. and they just released another episode on uh, what do you do with the imprecatory psalms, the whole, um, you know, uh, I, I wish God would take the babies of my enemies and dash their heads on, on rocks kinds of things. Like, what do you do with that? How do you, yeah. how do you handle that? So that's worth checking out, but... Uh, before I give our sign-off, in the spirit of our topic, I have one very brief story, right? Okay, oh, my so goodness. This is, this is unscripted. Here, yeah, right? I didn't know this was coming, so I don't know what's about to happen. So I'm in my Greek class, Greek 3 class, which you taught Greek 1 and 2. Yeah. And I concluded my first class period with— Am I being with... confronted right now? No, no, no. Okay, okay, no, no, okay. No, no, no. Just, just I, checking. I, I, I confront— I started I, sweating. I, I, I completed the class and gave my standard sign-off, which shows up at the end of every episode here. Oh, the yeah. Lord, the Lord bless y'all real good. And they looked up with surprise, like, wait a minute. You got that from John Slope. No, no, I got it from you. And, yeah. And, and I, said, <laughs> I said, no, 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 no. Now, he got that from me. Yeah. But— I said, I got that from Don Carson. Yeah. And he <laughs> got that from Billy Graham. 
So I, I'm doing my due diligence in light of our show topic to trace back the origins of yes. this expression that uh, I use here. So, and that'll be the only time we do this. We, we don't need to do this every no, episode. No, 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 no. It's on record now. Yeah, and so okay. in perpetuity, <laughs> from this point forward, that has been footnoted and acknowledged as uh, coming from someone other than either of us. And so uh, we have definitely wandered about our various and sundry topics today and so until next time the lord bless y'all real good later